so easy to turn the light on. <laughs> Exodus, actually, uh, sorry, Revelation 15 and Exodus 15. Uh, one day the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and then they exited Egypt as a nation. They go across the Sinai Peninsula, and they're on the banks of the Red Sea, ready to cr cross over into Midian, except they don't know they're ready to cross over into Midian, because all they see is the Red Sea, and they're stopped there. And Pharaoh's chariots are rumbling down on them. These weapons of war, these assault weapons, are coming down towards them to kill them. The next day, they are singing a song of victory because the horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. It is, it is a, a gruesome song. Our scripture reading was one verse uh, from that song. The reason why is because I wanted the scripture reading to be nice, and you couldn't find two verses of that song put together that were nice. Because <laughs> it's not a nice song. It's about the, Israel, or the Egyptians being killed, slain, drowned, horse and rider together, uh, dying in the sea. Uh, it would only be a joyful song if you had been looking those riders in the face <laughs> as they were coming down to kill you. It changes the scenery. It changes the setting, the, the, the issue, the way you think of it. That's the backdrop of today's story in Revelation 15 where the redeemed of the Lord sing the song of Moses. Okay, So Revelation 15 and... Um, let me uh, just start there with verses 1 and 2. We'll, we'll get to the Moses part. Uh, but first I'm going to read just verses 1 and 2. Then I saw another sign in heaven, <clears throat> great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. <clears throat> and I saw what appeared to be a, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with the harps of God in their hands. <clears throat> what we find is the setting is it is time for God's wrath to be poured out. And, and, and first I want to understand that God is angry. Uh, the, the, there are four words in the New Testament translated angry. You know, the New Testament is written in Greek, not in English. And so as they, they uh, are writing it in, New, in, in Greek, they're, they're saying what they want to say. And in English they come along and they say, well, what does that word mean? Well, it means angry. Well, it means angry. Well, it means angry. Well, it means angry. But each one has a different flavor, a different sense of anger. And here it says, when it says, I saw in heaven, uh, or I'm sorry, for with them the wrath of God is finished. That word for wrath is, is not just your typical word. I mean, it's not, not a, an unheard of word, but it is the word for anger that involves the word passion. It involves passion, emotion. Feeling. Uh, it, it means to move impetuously. It says a violent motion of mind, anger, wrath, indignation. A violent motion of, or passion of mind. Uh, there's a false mo idea out there that God doesn't get angry or that it's wrong to get angry. Neither one of those statements is true. It's clearly not true when we look at what Scripture has. First, uh, this passage, among others, should dispel the idea that God doesn't get angry. God does get angry, and when he gets angry, he is right to be angry. And we have to recognize that. We have to accept it. And the second is that since God gets, clearly does get angry, we might have to rethink 
the, the, our, our thoughts on anger, that anger is always wrong. Uh, because there are times, let me state this, there is, state, state this clearly, there are times when it is right to be angry. For instance, you walk around a corner and see me violently kick your child. How many of you are angry at me just for saying that? <laughs> I didn't even do it. <laughs> but but you know, all of a sudden you're angry. Well, what is that? Is a, you could say, well, that's an animal rage or whatever. You could, I'll tell you what it is. It is natural. And I will also say, go this far. I will say it is right. Uh, I, I didn't kick your child. I'm not going to get your child. But I'm going to say it is not only natural for you to be angry at me. Were I to do that, it would be right for you to do that. You should be angry for me at me for that. We live in a society that seems to think all anger is wrong. That you should never be angry. You should never express anger in, in some way or another. And, and if in those things, they will then rewrite God. So that he then becomes this gentle, meek creature. And, you know, Jesus is the, the, the meek and humble king, uh, but, but he also got angry. There is a time for anger, and in this passage, God is angry, and he is right to be angry. And I'm going to go farther and say God's anger is a glorious thing. When God is angry, it is not only okay, it is part of revealing his glory. One of the things it does is it reveals his glory to us. And we see this sea of glass mingled with fire, right? And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with the harps of God in their hands. So we've, we've seen this sea of glass, right? Let's flip back a few pages to Revelation chapter 4. Uh, we'll look at the first six verses of Revelation chapter 4, it's the first thing John saw when he went up in this vision into heaven. And he sees God in this sea of glass. Except it's not mingled with fire. It's, it's, it's like crystal, right? Revelation 4, verses 1 through 6. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow and had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Now, I don't know if you picture this the same way I do. I'm sure we all, if we try to picture it, we're going to have some differences. But one thing I have is this sea of glass like crystal looks like crystal, right? It doesn't show color. It's clear. Crystal clear, right? And, and I picture something like, like a diamond or, or, or like glass. I'm not picturing what's behind it or in front of it. I'm just picturing it. And for me, it's got all sorts of, you know, when I think of crystal and diamonds, I think of all the little facets that reflect light in every direction. And I don't know if it's like that or if it's just flat as flat as, as can be, but it's crystal. There's no color to it. 
or if, uh, what, what, what do you call that color? I mean, I, I don't know, diamond crystal. But there's not a color to it. And we see a lot of things around that. We, we see a lot going around this crystal sea. We see God seated on the throne. We see 24 elders on 24 thrones. We see flashes of lightning. We hear rumbles of thunder. We see the, the seven spirits of God. We see the four living creatures. There is energy. There is noise going on all around this thing. But it is clear as crystal, right? It is a sea of glass. It is like crystal. But now, here in Revelation 15, we find a sea of glass that appears to be a sea that appears to be glass mingled with fire. And 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 I have no, my, I don't know how to say this isn't the same sea. It's the same sea, but now it is mingled with fire. Okay, so, so we, we, you know, we're, we're doing the same thing we keep doing in Revelation. We find these symbols. First, we decode the symbol, <laughs> and then we interpret the meaning of the, of the passage. So, so it's mingled with fire, or a sea of glass. I say, yeah, mingled with fire. Uh, and I think the fire means exactly what you think it means, right? And, and I could just move on from that and say, say it's anger, but if we move ahead to Revelation 19... And it's, it's wonderful to have the book of Revelation to give meaning to the Ill, uh, pictures in Revelation. But we see fire in Revelation 19. Revelation 19 is where Jesus comes as a rider from heaven to execute justice. Revelation 19, verses 11 to 16, give us a picture of Jesus coming to judge. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on the seven horses. So it says in one breath... Uh, in righteousness, he judges and makes war, and in the next, his eyes are like flames of fire. What do you think the fire represents? What, do you think this is friendly fire? Do you think this is happy fire? Is this a warm, little, cozy fire that you snuggle up to to get, you know, warm and snuggly? Because <laughs> that's, that's not what I see in this fire. I see eyes of flaming fire. I see burning anger. Right, uh, and, and and it is this sea that that at the time, and that, that there wasn't energy around the throne in, in Revelation four, but there wasn't anger around the throne in Revelation four. The energy was there, but the anger isn't there. But by the time we get to Revelation fifteen, there is anger, there is wrath, there is judgment due, ready to boil over in Revelation four. I mean, in Revelation fifteen. Uh, God has been waiting in patience, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of salvation, right? That's what God does. But for those who refuse to come to repentance, for those who who refuse that, wrath is being stored up, and it has reached the point in Revelation 15 where it will be stored no more. You know, the, the boiler can handle so much pressure, and then it's going to explode. This is what we see with the sea of glass mingled with fire. His anger is right. And, and the evidence of, the anger, of his anger being right is the people, the very group of people gathered there that he sees with the flaming sea or the, the, the sea of glass mixed with fire. Uh, because what does it say? I have to flip back to 15 again. It's mine has a hyphen there, you know, uh, sea mingled with glass, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image 
and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass. They are the evidence that the anger is correct. They are the evidence that he is right. How did they conquer? Revelation 12, verse 11. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they lived, loved their lives not even unto death. Those gathered by the sea of glass are those who were killed because of their faith, and the ones he is angry at are the ones who did the killing. That makes a ton of sense, doesn't it? That makes an awful lot of sense. There's two groups of people here. There are the, the, the killees and the killers. <laughs> and he is angry at the killers because he loves the killees. And the thing is, the whole time that these people were being killed, the plea was going out to those who were doing the killing, saying, you too can be saved. And they were scorning him while killing them, Storing up wrath for themselves until the time comes when he's not going to allow it to be stored anymore. Those who killed them were offered mercy. God sent messengers. God sent witnesses. God, God had the very people who were being killed were a testimony to the faith. He, uh, he spared their lives long enough to give them a chance to repent, and they refused. So these people who are refusing his mercy while killing his children, uh, these children are gathered together before the sea of glass, and it is right for God to be angry. It is right for him to be angry, and he is going to pour out his wrath on the world. And they sing the song of Moses, right? Verses 3 and 4. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations, who will not, who will not fear the Lord and glorify your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And even as it's talking of God coming to judge, it says they will glorify your name. You are holy. They will worship you. Your righteous acts have been revealed. And they're describing these things. And I want to say the Song of Moses is not a pretty thing. If, if, if uh, you want to turn there, flip back to Exodus 15. And we go from Revelation 15 to Exodus 15, and we find the Song of Moses. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Some of us are ready to sing those lines. <laughs> uh, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and hosts he has cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your enemies. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The floods congealed in the heart of the sick. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. We see the Song of Moses. It's gruesome. It's about people dying. And they're singing, yay, they're dead. And we go, that doesn't sound very Christian. <laughs> We're not supposed to think that way. Uh, but this is the song they sing. Those who, delivered, who were delivered sing a song of praise for the death of their persecutors. They sing a song of praise to the one who delivered them. And it doesn't sound very nice unless you put yourself in their sandals for a minute, walk a mile in their sandals, and, and, and you might see it a little bit different because, 
the people who are being killed in the Red Sea, those people had enslaved them, right? Those people had, had abused and beaten and killed them. Those are the people who told women to drown their sons in the Nile. How much worse do you get than that? Than to tell someone to drown their child in the Nile. You know, I remember, I, th I thought about that, and I thought, you know, I remember people back in the day <laughs> who would get rid of unwanted kittens that way. You know, put them in a bag, toss them in the river or the lake, and that's how they would get rid of kittens. Imagine someone doing that today. <laughs> Those people would go to jail. Those people would be vilified on the news. We'd know their names. We'd see pictures of them being held off and let off in handcuffs with their hands you know, behind them, hiding their heads so they don't be seen. And it was a, actually, I think it was a common thing back then. I, I, I mean, I, don't, I never actually did it. I didn't do it myself. <laughs> but we, today we say, oh, how horrible. They were told to do that to their children. Where somehow in our world today, people think it's okay to kill babies. And then what are these chariots coming to do anyway? Are they coming to, to kind of circle the wagons and get around the Israelites and say, okay, turn around and march back? That's not what they're coming to do. They're coming to kill. The survivors they will take back to Egypt as, far, as slaves for Pharaoh. The survivors they will take back, they are coming to kill them. They're coming to rob, steal, and destroy, to rob, kill, and destroy. That's what they're coming to do. The survivors would be taken out back, and these people, these unarmed, mostly unarmed people, and, and the, the Israelites with their wives and their children and their flocks are, are at the Red Sea, and they see these people coming to brutally kill them, uh, mercilessly to slaughter them, and, and then they are delivered from them, and they have a very different perspective. We understand the Song of Moses, but only those who understand it can sing it. Right? Those who have been saved out of great danger like these tribulation saints. And they sing, they sing that, but they also sing the Song of the Lamb. And when we look at the Song of the Lamb, it, it's a little bit more user-friendly than, than, than uh, that. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord, the God, o Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship you, and your righteous acts have been revealed. And we find that God is glorious even in his judgment. He's not just right. It, it is, the song is not about judgment, but, but about how deserving God is of praise, partly because he delivers and partly because he judges. In light of who he is and what he does, he is both to be feared and to be glorified. And we see that even in judgment, God is holy and he is glorious. Uh, and he doesn't step out of character. God doesn't lower himself from a high, higher standard to act in judgment. He is the same God, the same God of perfection, the same God of goodness, the same God of glory, the same God of love. Interesting, Psalm, Psalm 136. Psalm 136 is, is a, a fascinating psalm that if you're not careful is boring. Because every other line is the same. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for steadfast love endures forever. 
Give thanks to the love of Lord of kings, lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. You get the part that's boring? <laughs> for his steadfast love endures forever. And if you go down far enough to verse 10, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought them out of, he brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. For him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. And you can go, well, if I'm an Egyptian, that doesn't feel very loving. <laughs> What about this steadfast love for me? Why am I not receiving the love? Why don't I see the love? You know, God loves his children. And somebody has been kicking them, right? Somebody has been abusing them. Somebody, And he gives these people the chance to come over to be his children. They refuse. His steadfast, you know, the, uh, a shepherd who loves his sheep carries, you know, David said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why would a shepherd's rod and staff comfort the sheep? Because doesn't he use that to smack them with? Get back in line, stupid sheep? <laughs> because this is the way he uses it on the sheep. It's not the way he uses it on the wolf. <laughs> and that sheep, who knows what the shepherd will do to the wolf with that staff, takes great comfort in the staff, the rod of the sheep. His steadfast love is for his people. And woe to those who would hurt his people. And God's mercy is never gone from this because he is always offering these people a chance to become his people. You know, we aren't, we aren't born God's people. We are born again God's people. We respond in faith to what he does and we become God's people. And those who refuse are given the same chance as those who don't. God doesn't step out of character to judge. He is still the loving God he ever was, the same loving God. He doesn't lower himself to judgment. His judgment is just and right and good, and it is even glorious. In verses 5 through 8, we have heaven prepared for judgment. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven gold bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. And you know what? We're back in Exodus again. We're back in Exodus to make sense of this. Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 and 35. Sorry, I should have said keep your fingers in Exodus. Exodus chapter 40. We're almost at the end of Exodus, right? The tabernacle, the tent of meeting, the tent of witness has just been established. It's been built, it's been set up, it's been furnished for the first time, right? Uh, and, and then it says this in verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because a cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Almost the same words we found in Revelation chapter 15. 
describing the te- except there the, it, it's you, you can't enter because the temple is full of the glory. No one can enter until the judgment is complete because of the glory of the Lord. God's judgment is glorious. The same glory that kept Moses from entering because it was too much for him is too much again. It, it is too much. You cannot go there. The glory of the Lord inside the tabernacle was too much for Moses to bear. And now, even in judgment, the glory of God is too much to bear. No one can enter it till judgment is complete. The stage is set. Heaven is ready. Earth is doomed. The next thing we read about is a loud voice. This is not in part. This is next week. Uh, the next thing we read about is a loud voice sending the seven angels out with the seven bowls of wrath. But God gave us this message first in Revelation 15. Lest we be confused and think somehow there's something wrong with God's judgment. Lest we be confused and think somehow, oh no, a good God wouldn't do that. Oh yes, a good God would. In fact, a glorious God would. There is a message for God's people. You will be avenged because God's people are, are being killed. They're being persecuted. They're dying. He says, you will receive justice and more. But there is also a message for those who are not God's people, and it's beware. Beware. There's a reason the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because without the fear of the Lord, we think, oh, big deal. It doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, it does. Yes, it does. Now, I'm looking at a crowd. It's funny. This is a very different crowd than what we had last week. (laughs) In fact, where are the other half of you? (laughs) That's a very bad pastor thing to say. (laughs) And and I'm looking out here, and and I'm looking, I'm saying, probably nobody here today needs to be warned to flee from the wrath of God. But just in case, let me tell you, if you have not fled from the wrath of God, then you are due for the wrath of God. Okay? For all of us, we want, a, we want a reminder of how good and glorious and right God is in all he does. But especially if you do not have him as your savior, you can flee the wrath of God, but not flee God. Because it's just like a child who comes up and says, Daddy, and Daddy picks up the child. Right? Uh, that, that's what God wants. It's not that you haven't done wrong. It's that he wants to forgive you. And I would invite you to do that. Let's pray. Father God, I ask for your your blessing on each one of us that we walk rightly with you, that we walk faithfully with you. Father, I, I ask that we think rightly about you and recognize how good and glorious you are at all times. We praise you for that. Help us to, to, to reflect your glory in our lives and our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen.